Chapter Twelve of A Book of English Martyrs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. A Book of English Martyrs by E. M. Wilmot Buxton. Chapter Twelve The Martyrs of Fifteen Eighty Eight. If I had a hundred lives, I would willingly lay down all in defense of my faith. Last words of Father Christopher Buxton at Canterbury, fifteen eighty eight. The beginning of the August of the year fifteen eighty eight had seen the downfall of the Armada sent by Philip the Second to invade England and restore by force the Catholic faith. It was a foolhardy attempt, deplored by all by Catholics no less than Protestants that a faith cannot be imposed universally by force had been clearly proved during the persecutions of the past forty years none indeed knew so well as catholics the futility of such an attempt nor had they been backward in showing their loyalty lord howard effingham the high admiral was of the faith catholic gentlemen had furnished arms and men as readily as their protestant neighbours and in the spanish state papers are several passages which show that the cooperation of english catholics with the army of philip against their queen was not to be relied on we might be content to account for the extraordinary renewal of persecution that took place in that year fifteen eighty eight by the national outburst of popular excitement and prejudice against all those who shared the faith of england's would-be conqueror but history makes it clear that this wholesale butchery was due rather to a cold-blooded decision on the part of cecil lord burghley to prove to the catholic powers how little they had to hope for from those of the catholic faith in england it was a massacre deliberately planned to extend all over the country derby mile end green shoreditch lincoln's inn fields clerkenwell brentford tyburn canterbury chichester ipswich and gloucester were all scenes of martyrdom in that year the names of those in prison on august fourteen says father pollen were distributed over as wide an area as he cecil could in order that as many places as possible might witness the execution of popish priests london with middlesex obtained the lion chair partly because many had been arrested there partly because london was the home of protestant bigotry and would greatly enjoy the spectacle within the three last days of august six priests and eight of the laity suffered at the beginning of october nine priests and three laymen and three more priests and three more laymen laid down their lives before that terrible year came to an end bringing the total up to thirty-one martyrdoms within four months it is an interesting and remarkable fact that when these people were brought to trial it was not so much as whispered that they had been guilty of any act of disloyalty nothing was objected to them but the practice of their religion as some were hung merely for being priests others for having been reconciled to the church as laymen others such as venerable margaret ward 
for having helped or harbored priests nor did the end of this year see a cessation of persecution during the last fourteen years of the reign over a hundred persons actually suffered death on the scaffold while hundreds more perished in prison those who escaped these penalties that is the ordinary recusants who refused to go to church were yet liable to a perpetual fine of twenty pounds a month and to a year's imprisonment and a fine of one hundred marks every time they heard mass at any hint of invasion they were thrown into jail and they were liable to the forfeiture of their goods lands and annuities during life for the offence of straying more than five miles from their own doors no one accused these men of being traitors they were mostly men who had engaged to fight in defence of their sovereign against any foreign prince pope or potentate whomsoever but they were ruined men as far as the world's goods were concerned and ruined by the set plan of burghley in order that catholic countries might judge how little aid could be expected of them in case of invasion the poorer catholics soon crowded out the jails and some had perforce to be set at liberty after being whipped in public or suffering their ears to be bored with a hot iron as for priest hunting that now became a recognized and profitable occupation for though the priest might escape the search there was always plenty of plunder to be carried off and no chance of justice being given to the suspected priest harborer should he try to claim it if the priest was discovered the house was forfeited by the owner who had in any case to pay those who descended upon his property like leopards as father gerard says in one of his vivid descriptions of these household visits the story of this intrepid young priest a man of high birth and of no less exalted qualities of soul begins in the same dark year of fifteen eighty eight he was one of the very few who lived through captures and adventures innumerable to die quietly in his bed at last so that his life strictly speaking does not belong to this book but we will quote his description of a priest hunt since it illustrates a common feature of the lives of the martyrs at this time there were five jesuits and two secular priests hidden in the house of a mrs brooksby and her sister mistress anne vaux in warwickshire among them were father gerard and father southwell the future martyr says the former about five o'clock when father southwell was beginning mass and the others and myself were at meditation i heard a bustle at the house door directly after i heard cries and oaths poured forth against the servant for refusing admittance the fact was that four priest hunters or pursuivants as they are called with drawn swords were trying to break down the door and force an entrance the faithful servant withstood them otherwise we should all have been made prisoners but by this time father southwell had heard the uproar and guessing what it meant had at once taken off his vestments and stripped the altar 
while we strove to seek out everything belonging to us that there might be nothing found to betray the lurking of a priest we did not even wish to leave boots or swords lying about which would serve to show there had been many guests though none of them appeared hence many of us were anxious about our beds which were still warm and only covered according to custom before being made some therefore went and turned the beds over so that the colder part might deceive anybody who put his hand in to feel thus while the enemy were shouting and bawling outside and our servants were keeping the door saying that the mistress of the house had not yet got up but that she was coming directly and would give them an answer we profited by the delay to stow away ourselves and all our luggage in a cleverly contrived hiding place in the chimney of the ancient chapel of padley hall in the high peak district used now as a barn is a cleverly constructed hiding place often used as a priest's hole by mr john fitzherbert of padley a zealous catholic gentleman of derbyshire on candlemas day fifteen eighty seven padley hall was searched for priests at the very time that father garlick a young schoolmaster who had just risked his life by returning from exile for the faith was staying there the search failed for the hole was well and cunningly contrived and father garlick and father ludlam continued to live at the hall for a while in peace but topcliffe was meantime tampering with the conscience of the wretched son and heir of the house thomas fitzherbert by telling him he could secure the whole of the estate of padley if he would betray his father and uncle about the middle of july a cavalcade approaching the house was noticed by one of the priests as he was saying his office in the garden the alarm was given and the two priests fled to the hiding-place but young fitzherbert led the pursuivants straight to the place after he had delivered up his father into their hands what must have been the feelings of this wretched man as he saw that piteous procession pass forth along the derby road can be better imagined than described the two earnest young priests the gray-haired man a loyal servant of queen and country rode pinioned through the countryside passing little groups of dismayed friends or tenants many of whom had either learnt the faith or received many a kindness at their hands at derby they were thrown into a filthy prison where they found father simpson another zealous priest who had been betrayed by a pretended catholic and who for a time seems to have wavered in his own constancy in order to avoid death by a fortunate chance garlick and ludlam shared his cell and soon convinced him by their earnest representations so successfully indeed that he openly did penance for his brief period of weakness and faced the end with the utmost faith and courage 
all four were condemned to die but the life of mr fitzherbert was bought by his son-in-law though only to be prolonged in poverty in the fleet prison for another two years a contemporary ballad shows that the sympathy of the vast crowd assembled to see them die was entirely with the martyred priests father simpson was to have died first but father garlic fearing somewhat for his constancy pressed forward and kissed the ladder before he mounted it talking cheerfully to the people as he did so father ludlam met his death with a smile of joy upon his lips and his eyes as though he gazed at a vision of angels while father simpson wearing a hair shirt in penance for his fall said plainly that his only regret was not for death but for his brief inconstancy these are the points commemorated in the ballad when garlic did his latter kiss and simpson after high methought that when st andrew was desirous for to die when ludlam looked on smilingly and joyful did remain it seemed st stephen was standing by or to be stoned again and what if simpson seemed to yield for doubt or dread to die he rose again and won the field and died most constantly out of the long list of martyrs of this year we can tell the stories of very few we have seen so many suffering at tyburn that we will choose for this chapter a little group of three young priests and one layman who were executed on the first of october fifteen eighty eight in the ancient city of canterbury at tideswell in the peak district where his family name may still often be met with a boy named christopher buxton the son of conforming parents was educated it is probable that his family had conformed with the least possible amount of goodwill and that certainly one relative of his had been a member of the english college at rome and a fellow pupil of blessed ralph sherwin who sent a special message of affection to one john buxton a derbyshire man in the year fifteen eighty certainly christopher's people made no objection to his being taught by so staunch a catholic as nicholas garlick and when the boy at the age of nineteen announced his intention of following his master to Dalway, there to study for the priesthood no hindrance seems to have been put in his way one could scarcely however expect his parents to furnish him with money for such an undertaking and when three years later we find him at the english college rome he comes as a pilgrim and a poor man and remaining as a student for the next two years is reckoned in the annals of that college as one of her many glorious martyrs for the faith late in the year fifteen eighty four he had taken the oath to be ready at the order of the sovereign pontiff or other lawful superior of this college to embrace the ecclesiastical profession to take holy orders and to proceed to england for the aid of souls and from that moment 
his heart must have burned to commence his work for we find him admitted to the priesthood at the unusually early age of twenty-four and five months later setting off for reims where the Dowie college is now situated on his way to england by that time the high roads even of lorraine and france were infested by heretic spies on the lookout for priests travelling from rome and father buxton and the little band who accompanied him were often hard put to it to escape with their lives reims too gave him a discouraging welcome for news was arriving every day of the capture and imprisonment of priests often at the moment of their arrival and christopher was told that it was impossible to make an entrance into the country but he only made answer that he came from rome to go to england and that to england he meant to go and if i can get any hope to escape by any means i will venture in the name of jesus christ and our blessed lady and all the holy and blessed company of heaven forthwith he hastened on to rouen where a perplexing difficulty had to be dealt with as he passed through paris he had been told by a certain dr derbyshire that father parsons of england had received orders from the rector of the english college at rome that no missionaries were to cross the channel until they had received his permission obedience ranks high among the virtues of a priest and father christopher would do nothing till he heard from the rector but he adds wistfully in his letter to rome we are very loath to stay however there he had to wait and even to see his fellow catholics set off before him into scotland because of the great liberty given lately unto catholics there yet always hoping and longing for the day that was to give entrance to what every priest of those times must have felt were the gates of imprisonment and death he must indeed have been not only very zealous but of a singularly sweet and happy disposition an almost boyish note of eagerness is seen in the letter written to the rector in reply to one that told him that there was no authority for father derbyshire's action and that he might now proceed had i not been so injuriously handled by father derbyshire who forged such things to make me stay he writes indignantly i had been the first of all my companions in england then with evident intention to make the best of things he adds but considering the thing is past i will not take it much to heart but will let it lightly pass and now at length with full zeal and courageous minds most like unto aeneas we will cut the surging seas and make assault towards our foes and presently signs himself after begging for prayers your loving child never until death to fail in obedience christopher buxton the ministry of this devoted young priest was short enough 
he managed to evade the spies and searchers of the port at landing but within two months he was captured probably in the middle of the november of the year fifteen eighty seven he never therefore fulfilled his longing wish to return to his own derbyshire home there to save the souls of his family and friends for he was taken in kent and thrown into the marshall sea prison there he must have been greeted with joy and welcome by father robert wilcox who had been a fellow-pupil of his at Dowey four years earlier and who had already lain a year in that filthy prison and he would quickly make him known to another ardent young Dowey priest named edwards who had taken the name of edward campion because of his love and admiration for the martyr during the long years that followed these three must often have cheered each other by their conversation and no doubt gladly admitted to their companionship a young layman named robert widmerpool charged with having introduced a priest into the house of the countess of northumberland where he was acting as tutor to her children in their dismal quarters they would hear rumours of the advance and defeat of the armada and possibly conjectured that this would hasten the date of the martyrdom for which if their bodies shrank from the suffering entailed their ardent souls were always longing in the middle of august of that year fifteen eighty eight their so-called trial began edward campion was the first to be questioned who on being termed a traitor replied warmly that he wished he was no worse traitor than campion that was executed for treason asked the famous bloody question as to which side he would take if an army came by apostolic authority to deprive her majesty and to restore romish religion he refused to say but will pray that the catholic church may prevail so long as he liveth on the next day father christopher buxton came before the council of the result of his examination we have the brief and striking entry this man will not take her majesty's part against the army nor do anything to hinder his religion no doubt the council were glad to have the chance of striking terror into the hearts of the people of kent the county where a foreign army was most likely to try to land and all three priests with robert widmerpool were forthwith sent to canterbury for execution when they were brought out to die on oaten hill on that october morning it seems as though the pity even of those grim officials was moved by the boyish look of christopher buxton the youngest of the four and only twenty-six years of age with doubtful kindness they ordained that he should suffer last hoping that the sight of the terrible butchery of the rest would break down his courage and cause him to apostatize but their example could only have strengthened him since father wilcox as he mounted the ladder turned to his companions and with a smiling countenance bade them be of good heart telling them that he was going to heaven before them when he should carry the tidings 
of their coming and robert widmerpool gave thanks aloud that he was brought to so great a glory as that of dying for his faith and truth in the same place where the glorious martyr st thomas of canterbury had shed his blood at the last moment father buxton was offered life if he would conform to which he replied cheerfully i will not purchase corruptible life at so dear a rate and indeed if i had a hundred lives i would willingly lay down all in defence of my faith end of chapter twelve recording by john brandon